0: Good morning, everyone. Hey, good morning. <laughs> the good news is better than you think it is. The good news is, be- is better than I think it is. Yes, the bad news is bad. It's real bad. It's actually worse than you think it is. The bad news is bad. Adam and Eve understood the bad news after they had sinned against God. No one had to tell Adam and Eve how bad the bad news was because all they knew, they needed to go hide as fast as possible, specifically hide from God. But the good news is so good because we see God coming, not to smite them, not to wipe them out, but to call his children home. Where are you? God know, God knew where, he, where they were. But he, see, he, God followed after his children. See, my hope, my hope is not in how I am following Jesus. That's not where my hope is. My hope is in how Jesus follows after me. That he has promised to never leave me. He has promised to never forsake me. He has promised that where he is, I will be also. So in those moments where I fail as a Christian, that I stumble, that I fall, he's not off in left field somewhere waiting for me to get my act together. He's there, right there with me all the time, never leaving me. And that is good news for someone like me because I I stumble a lot. I, I, I trip up a lot. And for so long... I don't know, maybe you're all like me, and for so long in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, is he mad at me? Is, is he disappointed in me? Is he, is, he, is he, you know, he's different than how we are with each other. Okay? Our relationship with God is completely different than how we treat each other. Okay? Because when we disappoint each other, when we hurt each other and stuff, it's real, and it's now, and it's pain, and there's consequences to that. But you see, in our relationship with God, it is one-way love, one-way grace, one way from him down to us, constant. It's a constant beat. It's always, always Jesus for us. Because you see, any disappointment, any wrath, any sin, any whatever that I have earned in my life, and you can put your name there too, has already been consumed by Christ on the cross. If there is any disappointment left, if there's any disappointment available, then that means that what Jesus did on the cross was insufficient. And God forbid that. It is full, final, done. In Christ you are forgiven of all of your sin. And somehow that message has gotten off track. Somehow, maybe I'm just speaking for American Christian culture, somehow that message has gotten off track because I'm willing to bet that you ask the average person on the street, out in public, whatever, the average church, you ask them, what is Christianity? Describe real quickly what Christianity is. Or describe to me the Christian faith. And they've done tests from this. They've done this. They've gone out to universities and schools and stuff like that. And usually it revolves around something about a system that teaches you how to be a better person. And it can. And it does. A system that encourages you to do better, to try harder, to get up and do, to act, act, act. And very rarely will you hear the response be back, oh, the Christian faith is a belief in teaching That God, the Son, came to earth, died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, and if you believe in him, you have it. But that's Christianity. That's the Christian faith. It revolves completely around the action of Christ for sinners. Because, see, if you can take a message, if you can take a story, and if you can just pluck out Jesus' name and put whatever God you want to name in it, And it encourages you to do this, to do that, to do that. What's the difference? The difference is Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. Because that's an exclusive message. That's an exclusive claim. And there's only one faith that makes that claim, and it's Christianity. That's the difference. The whole world, everything else will tell you, here's the ladder that you can climb up to get God. The Christian faith is different because it says, here's the cross where God climbed down on to get you. And that's the difference. It's backwards than our thinking, y'all. It's backwards because our whole system is set up around if you want something, you have to do something to achieve it. And we have a message where we didn't do something, we didn't earn something, but because God loves us, he gives it to us. That's a game changer. And I'm kind of going off on a tangent a little bit, so my apologies, but we're continuing on in this series that I've been on we're walking with Paul in the New Testament. And we're in Galatians chapter 5. And the reason why I'm leading in, I led into that a little bit is because it's a comfort, but also I think a warning too, that as early as Paul is writing his letter to the church in Galatia, he's having to attack that problem back then. That here's the gospel, here's what's preached, Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, full stop, and then people come in and try to add something on to Jesus yeah yeah Jesus died for you but you gotta you gotta do that yeah yeah Jesus died for your sins but don't forget you need to observe this and that's not the gospel Jesus plus anything or anyone else equals not the gospel in a weird way you could even say it is technically anti-Christ Anything added to Christ for the forgiveness of sins for sinners, you're against Christ because you're looking to be saved by something along with Jesus. I mean, what more is possibly more precious than the blood of God? Nothing. I mean, an act- God, actual man, 100% man, Had actual flesh that was actually pierced by actually nails, and had actual blood. I mean, we've all stuck ourselves or bled before. We've seen blood. God had that in His body, and it was poured out for me and for you. See, that's something that's separate and different too. See, we have a God who bleeds. We have a God who 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 knows what it feels like to go through death for us. You know, this is not just something that happened over here in left field. It was real. It really happened. It's something that we can fall back on. The crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Changes everything. It's the linchpin of the Christian faith. You kick that away and the faith is done. Even Paul says it. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is is, done. But the good news is that it did happen. In Galatians chapter 5, oh yeah, I'm going to bring this up too. Sorry, I'm all over the place this morning, so bear with me. One of my favorite movies during Christmas time is The Christmas Story. Has everybody seen that movie? You know which one I'm talking about? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Yeah, that one? All right. Right. If you haven't seen it, my apologies, it's going to be a little bit of a spoiler, but it's a, it's a family favorite. It's, it's hilarious, okay? And I'll get into the weeds of that story a little bit later. All you need to know is it's about a kid who really wants a BB gun, and everyone's telling him, telling him how he can't have it. So, anyways. Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 1, we read, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. See, Paul is still in this beat that he has been on through the Galatians. It's the same thing. The death of Jesus Christ saves the death of Jesus Christ saves. The death of Jesus Christ saves. Period. He's hammering the same note. You know, repetition reinforces and confirms. I need to hear the gospel all the time. Every day. I need to hear, because I forget it. I forget it. I'm going through life. I go through things, whether it be things with work, things with whatever. And that guilt and that shame and that whatever kind of pops in. That's when I need to hear the gospel. Hey, Zach, Christ was crucified for you. You've been united with him, you've been buried with him, you'll be raised with him. It's over. You're free. I need to hear that all the time. Verse 1 for freedom, Christ has set us free. Jesus set us free not to put us back into a cage, but he set us free to have freedom. Stand firm. Stand firm and not weak. Don't sleep on those who might peddle false doctrine or false gospel, but stand at the ready. Be watchful. And that's mean to stand ready and in defense of the gospel, not so much when you see a lack in moral behavior. Yes, sure, you need to encourage people. Say, hey, you, know, you ought not to be doing that. Or, hey, you know, let, you know, there's always room for improvement. In here, I know I need to do better. But this particular passage is saying, stand firm, stand, be ready to defend the gospel. ...to defend the message that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Those who sleep on false doctrine and false apostles... ...will not be able to hold on to this liberty. For even the old Adam in them desires to be approved by the law. See, old Adam, he wants to be approved by the law. In the liberty that Christ gives us, we are at the same time free from the law... ...sin, death, the power of the devil, hell, etc. Since the wrath of God has been consumed by Christ on the cross... No law, sin, or death may accuse or condemn us now. These enemies of ours will continue to frighten us, but not as much as before. Christ's liberty is not given to us by the law or from our own righteousness, but freely for Christ's sake. In John 8, Jesus says, If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery... Paul calls the law here a yoke, a yoke of bondage. The yoke of slavery that Paul is referring to here is is to seek to be justified by the law. Human reason, human desire, and human will will want to choose the righteousness of the law over the righteousness of faith. All of mankind is consumed with this idea. It is hard and impossible to drag it out of people. The Holy Spirit is going to have to do the heavy lifting here. And the good news is he's promised to. I, 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 I really find a lot of hope in the promises that God makes to me. And even those moments when I don't feel like things are going how they should be going, that's where we have the word, things that he's promised to do. I mean, take, take God at his track record. Yes. You know, if God says he's going to do something. He's going to do it. Okay? Hallelujah. Especially when it comes to my relationship with him i never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. Good works that he's planned out before. He's the author, that means he's the starter and finisher of my faith. So when my faith doesn't feel all that right, that's God's pay grade. That's his pay grade. He's the one that's working in it and whatever. And even and the devil will tell us, oh, your faith is garbage. It's like, devil, you need to take that up with God. You know, my faith in the progress of it, or the growth of it, or the whatever—that's that's him doing it. He's promised to finish that. He's promised to work on that. You ever tried to make your faith stronger? Doesn't work really good, does it? It's like telling a tree to grow an apple—an apple tree. It's like it—it ah! it grows it because that's what it is. It's an apple tree. For, to the person in Christ, to the person who has faith in Christ. It, it will grow at the level that God has called it to. But we, get, we have to look at our feet, right? How we are How, How's doing? Or I heard this story once of, now I've never done this, but uh, when you're plowing a field or when you're tilling a field, they'll tell you that you have to look forward at a spot and keep your eye on that spot. Look forward. Don't look at your feet. Don't look at the plow. Don't look at the horse and see what they're doing. You got to look at that spot, and then how you're looking is it'll grow straight, right? But as soon as you start looking around, as soon as you start, oh, am I doing it right? Or, oh, is it, it's going to start doing that. Fix your eyes on Christ. Look at Christ the whole time. It's just like Peter when he's on the water. He's looking at Jesus, and he's walking just fine. Oh, but there are the waves. There are my feet. There's my walk. Look what I'm doing. And he starts to sink. And my favorite part of the story is, Jesus didn't let him drown. Jesus didn't go up. He messed up. I guess we'll try with uh, one of the other disciples. No, he went and got him. He went and got him. Because he made a promise to Peter. And Jesus made that same promise to each and every one of you in here. Yeah, you might sink. But Jesus is with you. He'll never leave you. Oh, but you don't know what I've done. Jesus does, and he still wanted to die to have you. Even if your worst failure in life is tomorrow, Jesus still will be with you. He's not afraid of your filth. He's not afraid of your sin. He's not grossed out by you. He loves you. He he would trade places with you. And he did that 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 if you're a a parent in in that moment when you see your child going through something and you think, oh, I wish that was me. I'd rather it be on me. God did and said the same thing. He saw what the wages of sin does. It's death. It's the grave. It's hell. And God said, no, it'll be me. God took all of your punishment and wrath. God the Son, He took all of it in exchange His righteousness with your unrighteousness. Verse 2, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. This This is a very jarring part of it, what Paul's saying here it is to shake up and wake up the Galatians who are being led astray by the false doctrine that Jesus plus circumcision justifies the sinner. Place anything in the same spot as circumcision, and this verse still applies. To teach that besides faith in Christ, other devices like works or the observance of rules, traditions or ceremonies for the attainment of righteousness and everlasting life is to make Christ and his salvation of no benefit to anybody. Paul does not condemn circumcision in itself. It is not bad to the person who does not ascribe any particular importance to it. Neither are works bad, so long as we do not attach any saving value to them. Paul does not say that works are objectionable, but to build one's hopes for righteousness on works is disastrous, for it makes Christ good for nothing. If you accept an old law mandate, As what justifies or what is included in what justifies you, then what Christ did for you on the cross and what He provides as gift is not going to be of any help to you, because His gift is Christ alone being sufficient for your justification without any observance to the law. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul is stressing the point because it is important. He knows that if the Galatians miss this, they will miss the point of the gospel and the Christian faith. If you hold to anything, any observance of the law as a means of what justifies you, then all of the law is back in play. And that is bad news for the sinner. For they cannot and will not keep the law. They are are unable to and do not have the desire to, because their will is bound in sin, by sin. The more you make an effort to perform the law, the more you'll become tangled up in the yoke of the law. To obey Moses in one point requires obedience to him in all points. To acknowledge the law is the same as declaring that Christ, the Messiah, has not yet come. And if Christ has not yet come, then all of the old ceremonies and laws concerning meats, places, offerings, sacrifices, tithes, and times are still in force. And Christ must be awaited as one who is still to come. The whole scripture, however, testifies that Christ has come, that by his death he has abolished the law, and that he has fulfilled all things which the prophets have foretold about him. Some would like to subjugate us to certain parts of the Mosaic law, but this is not to be allowed or taught no matter what. If we permit Moses to rule over us in one thing, we must obey all him in all things. Hey, if you want to... You want to do certain things like those under Moses used to do. Knock yourself out. So long as you know that when you're doing them, you're not being justified by them. Or that you are gaining any extra points with God by doing them. Rest in Christ. In him is where all your points with God are available to you. Any type of favor, any type of good graces, any type of whatever between you and God is all wrapped up. In Jesus Christ. Verse four, you have fallen from grace. How can you fall from grace? Have you ever, I used to think that that meant that, oh, I did something so awful that now I've fallen out of God's good favor. That's not what falling from grace is. According to this passage, it is not from a lapse of right living or as the result of some major moral failure. The way to fall from grace is to look for the law as a means of hope and justification and not Christ. Christ keeps you in a state of grace, not the law and any delusional thoughts of keeping it. The words falling from grace must not be taken lightly. They are important. To fall from grace means to lose it all, to lose the atonement, the forgiveness of sins, the righteousness, liberty and life, which Jesus merited for us by his death and resurrection. To lose the grace of God means to gain the wrath and judgment of God. Death, the bondage of the devil, and everlasting condemnation. How do we, how do we fall from grace? It's by not looking to Christ for our soul sufficiency and for our salvation and our hope. It's the moment when we start looking at us and ourselves as means for what saves us. That's how you fall from grace. Not one believer in Christ will go to hell. Not one. Not one. God forbid it! God forbid it! Not one believer. Oh well, yeah, but they they believed late. So, oh yeah, but they were scoundrels their whole life, and on their deathbed they. So, we're all scoundrels. Every last one of us deserves wrath that we earn. The only difference is that Christ died for me. How you get in heaven is that Christ died for me. That's the only way I'm getting there. Oh, you don't have to do. It. I'd like to be to do more. I'd like to love my neighbor. There's things I want to do, but just like Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't always do them. And the things I don't want to do, I do them. Wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. In Christ Jesus. That is the point. That is the identity of the Christian. No longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Neither observing the law or rejecting the law does not count for anything. Because in Christ, it is only him that counts. Only faith working through love. Who is doing the verbs? Who is doing the verbs of faith working through love? You in Christ. Who is doing the verbs of faith working through love? Is it me or is it Jesus? Who's doing the verbs in my life and my walk with in my Christian walk? Who's doing the work? Is it me or is it Jesus? Is Jesus my co pilot or is he my pilot? Is it Jesus doing it or is it me? If it's me, it's bad news. If it's me, it's going to be all over the place. The good news is that it's Jesus. How can I say that? Because I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, by, live now, I live in the flesh, live by faith in the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if I nullify the grace of God, then Christ died for no purpose. Right? Faith in Christ is a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. A gift that is given to you from hearing the gospel. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The gospel is exploding faith into the sinner who believes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This faith will lead to good works. But they are good works that Christ works through you. And has prepared for you, he is still doing the verbs, even when you're doing the good things. Even the verbs of your good works. And he has promised that he would do them. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There are so many good points of Galatians in here that, I mean, you could spend forever talking about it. I'm not going to keep you forever. I really encourage you to go into Galatians and to study Galatians 5. There, the devil is going to point out all those things in your life where you rightly have done wrong, where you've rightly disobeyed the law where you aren't living like a Christian should. He's quick to point that out. He will never point out how Christ died for you. Never. Why? Because it's game over. He has no case. All the the fear of everything that he's trying to bring with it is just, when that's brought to memory. Of course you ought to love your neighbor. You are free to love your neighbor. See, that's, one of the beauties of being free, freedom in Christ, you're free to love your neighbor. If your neighbor hates you, I'm free. You're free. If you're preaching Christ and crucified, the world will hate you. Now. I didn't say, if you're a jerk, the world will hate you. Yeah, they will hate you, but they're hating you for a different reason. They're not hating you because of Jesus. If the world hates Christians, may it not be because we project the, the idea that I'm better than them because I'm a Christian and I do all these wonderful things, and if you're a Christian, you could do all these wonderful things too. See, so the world will hate you for that. But that's not Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of sins. If the world hates the Christian, maybe because, oh, there are those people that believe that God became a man and died on a cross and that if they believe in him, that everything, that they have his forgiveness. If the world hates Christians, let it be for that message. You don't get brownie points by holding up a sign saying turn or burn or repent and everybody's mad at you and think that, oh, I must be be doing all right because everybody hates me. No, they're hating you because you're a jerk. Turn or burn, repent. Okay, repent to what? Repent to who? Yeah, repent, but turn to what? Give me the good news. What's the good news? I'm 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 dead in my sins and I need to repent. Fine. What's the good news? Is there any good news? Is there hope for someone who is a sinner? Is there hope for the prodigal son walking home? Yes, and it looks like in the form of the father running to him, ready to throw the party. Before the son could get out, I'm ready to be your slave. The father's like, no, 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 you're my son who's alive, who is now dead. It's time to party. That's the good news. I mentioned a Christmas story earlier. And you may think that that movie is about a kid who wants a BB gun. No. It's a movie about a good father that gives his son a gift that no one else trusts him with. Yes, it's true that Ralphie wants a Red Ryder BB gun through the entire movie. Everywhere he turns and everyone tells him that it's too dangerous. He is told that he can't be trusted with such a gift. He's not mature enough yet. His mother, teacher, and even Santa Claus all tell him, you'll shoot your eye out. But Ralphie never asked his father. Several times in the movie, we are led to believe that Ralphie is scared of his father, that he views his father as hard and harsh. The image of his father is obliterated at the end of the movie when he is surprised by his dad with the gift that no one else wanted him to have, the gift that no one else trusted him with. His father gives it to him in fatherly pride and joy, with no warnings or caveats. The only thing he tells Ralphie to do is how to load the BB gun. God gifting us with Christ and the liberty in him that the world and many Christians would identify as dangerous is kind of like this. God, who we often view as harsh and hard, gives us this gift in Christ A gift that we never thought to ask him for. Reconciliation. Freedom. This gift of freedom comes with no strings attached. No caveats or warnings. We only receive it from a good father. Some will be afraid of what we'll do with such a gift. Well, you're free. (laughs) A sinner who's being told they're free. Surely we need some rules for this gift. Are we mature enough to be free? Are we responsible enough? Will we shoot our eyes out? We might. We might. Ralphie almost does. He in joyful zeal immediately runs outside to try out this awesome present and almost shoots his eye out. But like his father, our father wants us to have this gift. It's his joy to give it to us. See, God is willing to take the risk. We will make mistakes, but little by little we'll learn how to use it. Freedom in Christ is given to you all as a gift from a good father who loves you more than you think he does. A gift that no one would trust you with. The gift of total freedom in and for the sake of Jesus Christ. There is nothing left to do. So go be free. Figure it out. And while you're at it, use your freedom to love your neighbor. Because, see, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Your neighbor does. This is fixed. This is not. Love your neighbor. You're free. And just like how we take joy and pride in our children, how much more does God take joy in us for the sake of his son? Will the team come forward, please? Maybe you're here this morning and you're hearing this idea that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, to save you. And if this is the first time you're hearing this message, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing it in a way where it's coming to you in a way that's more of a proclamation rather than a deal, like so many times it's like, hey, if you do this, you can have this. If, if that's how you're hearing the gospel this morning, I, I want to correct that. I'm not, I'm not asking you, did Jesus do something? I'm telling you Jesus did something. That's a big difference. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to give you choice A, choice B. I'm giving you the cross. I'm not giving you a fork in the road. I'm giving you a cross in the road. Jesus, on the cross, for you, for the forgiveness of sins. He did this for you. And if you have faith in him, if you look to him for forgiveness of sins, it's yours. It's yours. And see, I can't, I can, I can say all, I can, I can tell you how much it's true. But see, the Holy Spirit's going to have to do some heavy lifting in here. Because see, the the sinner is not going to want God. Even even when Jesus is telling the disciples, you know, how how to be saved, and the disciples reply back, that's impossible. God's like, you know what? You're right. That is impossible with man. But it's not impossible with God. Every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Because that means the Holy Spirit is exploding, saving faith into a, a, a dead heart. Well, how can this happen? How can faith... Faith comes by hearing. And by hearing the word of God. So here's the gospel. Christ was crucified on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He was buried, and he arose three days for you. And if you believe in him you have the entire forgiveness of all your sins. If there's anyone here this morning where that is new to them, this time is now for you. We'd like, we'd like for you to come forward. We'd like to pray for you. We'd like to encourage you. We'd like to celebrate because that's, that's a good thing when that happens. And, and for those of us, because knowing the, knowing the joys, knowing the freedom in Christ. To go through this world and not have him. I don't know how people do it. I don't. Maybe it's denial. Maybe it's tough. I don't know. And here's some more good news. Even when I don't feel right. Even when I don't feel like I did it right. Even when I don't feel like I got saved right. Or I said the right things. Whatever. It's faith in Christ. Even when I feel too weak to hold on to Christ. Christ has promised to hold on to me. Don't have faith in your faith. Have faith in Christ. Don't place hope in your faith. Place your hope in Christ. It's Christ. It's all Him. This is also a time for those of you who have any prayer needs. We want to pray for you as well. This is your time. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit uses this time to deliver to all of us what we need that He'll appoint us to Christ. Thank you.
1: I'd like for us to remember Johnny Cole in our operation this, this week in his hand. I mean, in touch with Deborah. And... Uh, Hallelujah. Let's just pray for Johnny. Yeah. And the Lord will undertake mm-hmm. for him and give him complete healing. And he's mm-hmm. also thankful for mm-hmm. Faye Marie being here this morning and come through her operation. And so grateful for that. I've got so much to be thankful for. I pray for Eugenia Debbie. Yeah. Um, Debbie's got a lot on her right now. And just pray for her, Debbie Kennedy, this morning. Her family, hallelujah! Need a touch from the master. Bonnie Hill and our daughter and the relationships there, hallelujah! Need a touch from the master. The wonderful thing about it, all these names I've given you, we have a wonderful heavenly Father that can meet every need, whatever it may be. So, if you need prayer this morning, just come forward. We want to pray with you. Hallelujah! We've got a wonderful blanket ministry that we pray for. The blankets are sewn together by an elderly lady that just loves the Lord and prays for them as she does them. And we send them forth. We anoint them and we bless them. We send them forth. And the people have been healed and, and has received hope from that. So, praise God. Marie, come on, my darling. Good to see you here. Thank you, Jesus. Father, in the name Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we stand together and believe and we trust in you, we want to see a completed work in favor of you, Lord, whatever she needs, financial realm,